Would you please stand for today's reading of Matthew 6, verse 33, and 7, verses 24 to 27. But seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Please be seated. Many years ago now, when Beth and I and our family were planning to move to Nevada County, we had been called to the church and had kind of our timeline down. We were ready to move. We had looked at a number of places. I mean, Beth loves looking at houses and kind of trying to figure out what just the right space and place is for us. So we probably looked at somewhere between 35 to 40 houses in our county. As many of you recall, Levi was about to be born, and so life-changing us were racking up for the Griffins quickly. Levi was born, and we thought we had settled on the right house that we were going to move into. I started driving over and preaching and then being with the family you know, during the week as I prepared and as we prepared to move. It got to about two weeks before we were going to move. And I had driven over on a Saturday and was preparing to preach here on a Sunday, kind of getting ready for Easter. And I got a call from our real estate agent. Uh, you need to meet me at the house. I was like, yeah. He's like, we got problems. <laughs> okay. Now, my, my mind was spinning even as he said this, because I know we're like about a week from escrow closing on this house. And as I showed up at the house, I could quickly tell there were big problems. There had been a rainstorm, and a French drain had failed, and the whole basement of this house had completely flooded. About a week before escrow would have closed on this house, the Griffins backed out of that deal. It ended up meaning that we had to rent for a while and kind of acclimate to the community a little bit differently than we anticipated back in 2012. But we eventually found the right house. We've enjoyed living in that home and being a part of this community for around 12 years now. It's all about the right foundation, right? And how a home is going to hold up under the stress and strain of a storm, wind, rain, or otherwise. And that's, spiritually speaking, what Jesus speaks to in this message today. About how seeking first his kingdom and applying his words enables us to live with a strong foundation. So our foundational truth today is this. Every follower of Jesus can join Jesus on his mission by seeking the kingdom. You see, it's about seeking his kingdom versus seeking our comfort first. It's about seeking his righteousness, the righteousness he provides through Jesus, versus seeking a smug self-righteousness on our own part. It's about joining Jesus on his mission by seeking his priorities, in his kingdom. 
Greg Finke, in the book that has undergirded the series, Joining Jesus on His Mission, says that Jesus has brought the kingdom into our world and into our community. Therefore, the practice of seeking the kingdom is the first practical step we can take in joining Jesus and what he is doing. The more we seek, the more we find what Jesus is up to and the more he can show us. And the more we seek, the more Jesus can do with us. So key questions we have asked is, what is Jesus already showing us? And what is he already inviting us to notice and to do? Centrally, it is that wherever you are, God has called you to be all there and be present in the opportunities and the circumstances of your life. And that whoever you are, God has gifted you in certain ways to relate to people and reach out and build up the kingdom of God in and through those relationships. You see, Jesus is already up to something. And Jesus is always up to more than we usually can see. One of the ways I pray for myself, I pray for our family, I pray for you as a congregation, is often on Fridays, and I pray over the sanctuary as I talked to one of our church members last week, you almost always sit uh, in the same spots, if you haven't figured this out. And so when I do a figure eight of prayers over our sanctuary and over the seats, I can picture your faces. I know where you sit. And I pray for you. And I often pray the prayer from Ephesians 3 that we just encountered in our read through the Bible in the year. I pray that God would do immeasurably more than all we might ask or imagine according to his power at work within us and within the church. Amen? I pray that big picture prayers, that we would know how wide and long and high and deep the love of Jesus Christ is for us, and that we would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. But essentially, I pray that God would be doing immeasurably more than all we might ask or imagine, that he is at work and working in ways that we can't always see, but we can participate in. And we can picture more and more the more we align our values with God's values. You see, there are human needs, the needs of our neighbors, coworkers, and friends that are all around us. And if we embrace the kingdom of God and Jesus' missional priorities, we can't set those needs aside. We can't ignore those needs. Rather, we can start to see them as personal invitations from Jesus for us to respond. Much like uh, the Good Samaritan who saw the man beaten up and along the side of the road and he moves to attend to him and care for him. We look up and we look out for those various opportunities where we can care for people. That, those opportunities are often right before us. But the more we attend to God's kingdom, the more we're looking up and seeking to envision how God is wanting us to participate, I believe the more we see those kinds of opportunities that sometimes we are otherwise blind to. One caution I would give, though, is we may not always initially discern accurately how God wants to understand what we are seeing. I know I'm pretty quick to see situations, believe I know exactly what's needed in that situation, and jump right in. My wife will tell you I am not always accurate on that. Runners will tell you I'm not always accurate on what they needed. I didn't need you to yell at me to run faster in that instance. I just needed you to kind of encourage me that I was doing the best I could in the moment. Sometimes we see needs around us and we jump in thinking we know exactly what's needed. 
and sometimes we miss it. But the good news is God is always showing us more. God is always allowing us to see more and more of who he is and how he would call us to respond on mission with him as long as we're willing to ask him and allow him to show us. You see, we are fellow missionaries of God who God has asked and invited to join in the work of his kingdom. And when we seek the kingdom in community, that's really when the magic happens. Because sometimes you see things that I don't see. And sometimes somebody else sees something that that you don't. I don't know if you've had this experience in a growth group, but I certainly have. Where I'm sharing a situation in my life and, and, and maybe how I see it and how I want people to pray for me in it. But they see it differently. And they may see an opportunity in the midst of a difficult circumstance that I don't see. You see, we need community to help us connect with what God is doing. And we need community to support us in answering those questions of what God is already showing us and what he's already inviting us into. So let me uh, tell you or point to the fact that when Jesus says, do not worry about your life and to seek first the kingdom of God, he's seeking to align our priorities with his own. His way of life. N.T. Wright's translation of what Jesus says here is, So let me tell you, don't worry about your life. Instead, make your top priority God's kingdom and his way of life. And all these things will be given to you as well. So don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow can worry about itself. One day's trouble is at a time is quite enough. You see, Jesus had a strong and lively sense of the goodness of his father, in his created world. And his teaching grew out of that experience. When he told his, fo- his followers not to worry about tomorrow, we can assume Jesus led by example. So part of Jesus' kingdom invitation is to be all in in the present. To not anxiously worry about tomorrow and the next challenges, but to be present to the opportunities that this day is giving you. To give attention to the present task. And celebrate the goodness of God here and now. And friends, this is really a recipe for joy. To celebrate where you are in the moment leads to an increase of joy versus a worry about the future. We decided to take a a quick vacation. Beth and I, we and the family had never been to the Apple Hill area in Placerville. And uh, we decided, hey, we need to take a day off. The kids are on fall break. And so we, we got away for just about 24 hours. But in that time, after about the third apple orchard place and the third place where you're looking at, you know, what apple pies being offered or apple donuts or whatever, I felt like there was just this relaxing into the moment. Don't worry about coming, what's to come, coming back to church or whatever else is going on. Just be present with your family and in that moment. Well, that's a kingdom kind of shift. Where we find the joy in the present moment. We're not worried about the future because we entrust the future to God. And then we seek what God's kingdom is doing in the way he is advancing. It really is an issue of priorities. And what we find is that all of life is meant to be done in the presence of God and according to the will of God. You see, Jesus tells us your heavenly father knows what you need. Food, drink, and clothing, and in the midst of those needs, the one thing most needful is to seek him and his kingdom first. God's kingdom and the way of life that marks out 
God's people, the righteousness of God, that way of life, these are the things we are meant to aim at. Then we'll find that food and drink and clothes look after themselves. In other words, they fall into their right perspective. So we'll look at first three things. We can join Jesus on his mission by seeking first his kingdom, his righteousness, and then anticipate that all things will be given to you as well. What does he mean by this? Jesus actually took for granted that all people are seekers. We all seek after something to be our source of joy and satisfaction. We are all, at, we're, we're all looking for the resources that we believe will provide that sense of identity and belonging. And he says that it's only my kingdom and the resources of my kingdom that will ultimately be worth living for. It's what gives us meaning in it, to our existence. It's something to seek in terms of what we set our hearts and our minds around. And Jesus is essentially saying in the Sermon on the Mount that there's two roads. There's, there's, there's a road that's the narrow road and the wide road. And there's two types of building. The house built on the rock and the house built on the sand. And he creates this contrast between whether we will either seek our own kingdom building or whether we'll seek to build up the kingdom of God. We are to be ambitious for God. Ambition concerns our goals in life and our incentives for pursuing those goals. And a person's ambition is what literally makes them tick, what's most important to them. And it uncovers the mainspring of our actions and our secret inner motivations. This then is what Jesus is talking about when he defined what in the Christian counterculture we are to seek first. And it's a great contrast from what he describes as a culture of worry and fear and concern. You see, most of the paragraph surrounding Matthew 6.33 and the call to seek first the kingdom of God is written in the negative. Three times Jesus repeats his prohibition to not be anxious or to do not worry. In this preoccupation, he says, forbids us to focus first and foremost on the accumulation of food and drink and clothing we often ask those questions what shall we eat what shall we drink what shall we wear uh i am above my or among my two boys one of my boys cares very little about this he shows up you know hairs all over going a million directions worn the same shirt as the day before has little care concern he actually likes the fact that his socks don't match that's his goal The other son usually comes up and is sort of primping and kind of getting ready and think, Dad, how does this look? And, you know, kind of concerned about that. And, you know, they can be different in this regard. We all have sort of different concerns along these lines. I'm probably focused most on what I will drink as I enjoy various uh, beverages, mostly of the non-alcoholic variety, but occasion I'll join in that. But we can have these focuses the what we'll eat what we'll drink what we'll wear is all about the sort of circumstantial or superficial concerns in life but what we're told is it's that those who don't know God that seek all those things and it's not just that they seek them it's that they prioritize them but for disciples of Jesus Christ the implication is the supreme good life is about joining God in what he's doing and focusing on his kingdom Let me correct or say again, there's nothing here to stop Christians making plans for the future. 
We've been hosting a Dave Ramsey class on Financial Peace University. There are good reasons to prepare for the future. There are sensible steps to take for our own security. What Jesus forbids here is neither thought nor forethought, but anxious thought, which clouds out God's priority in our lives. Because if I'm filled with anxious worry, if my mind is kind of invaded by worry and fear and concern for, for various things, it is then not open and available to respond to those present moments that God provides. If our true ambition is God's rule and righteousness, if that is the ultimate object of our quest, what we will find is other things fall into their rightful place. Again, it's not that they're bad in and of themselves. They can be quite good but as a second goal and and ambition. The issue here that we can quickly identify with undergirding Jesus' call to join him on mission by seeking the kingdom is worry. I mean, our, our fear, our culture has become so worried, so drowned in anxiety. We know that many people are, are on, you know... Um, medication to address anxiety issues. Many of us, and there are good reasons to go to a counselor at different times, are processing our worries or fears or concerns in various ways. But what Jesus is saying is that there can be a fundamental shift that takes place. When you seek first his kingdom, and when you live out an identity in relationship to his words and his teachings, worries and fears and concerns can be drowned out. When Jesus spoke of the kingdom of God, he was referring to how not just God's general sovereignty, but allow, how we allow his specific rule over, his own, uh, over us and over his own people and how that rule becomes inaugurated, which begins then when we humble ourselves and we repent and we believe and we submit and we're, we're born again by God. You see, God's kingdom and Christ's rule over his people can be a great blessing because it can refocus our minds on what he prioritizes. And when we seek first his kingdom, we find that the other things sort of trail in importance. This involves then a change in lifestyle and citizenship. When I live out my identity as a citizen of the kingdom of God, when I live out the belonging that I have in Jesus I'm less likely to give in to the fears and concerns of this world. I don't prioritize the wrong things as much. And I'm not then thrown off when those things either are lost or given a false importance. To find joy and to experience a joy that then becomes uh, you know, something that is shared with other people is something where we prioritize God's kingdom in such a way that other people can see that we are centered people. We have a rightness or a balance in our life. We don't give in to worries and concerns and and fears to the same degree as other people because the things that would cause us to be worried or feared don't have as much importance to us. You see, our witness is one that is impacted by whether we seek the kingdom of God or not. Our own lives are blessed when we prioritize God's values and his kingdom, but other people are watching and witnessing whether we get so worked up about some, a challenge at work or somebody cutting us off on the highway or other things that we sort of lose our influence on other people or our influence on other people isn't necessarily good. 
I was talking to somebody this last week who had a conversation with somebody who, you know, like many, described themselves as, as spiritual but not religious, said they believed in God but they had long given up on the church, and it was because they felt like there was so much hypocrisy they saw in the church, that Christians weren't all that different, and that people that they encountered in church didn't seem to be living that different of lives than other people in the world, and it's true. That sometimes people can see us and not see a great difference that the kingdom of God has brought to our life. They don't see different values necessarily. So what does that mean for us? It means reorienting our lives around the kingdom of God. And it means seeking his righteousness first rather than seeking to be right ourselves. What this is about, when we're talking about seeking God's righteousness, is that we trust and know that our salvation comes by grace through faith alone. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is the gift of God, not by, not by your own work, so that no one can boast. When we seek first his righteousness, we're establishing our relationship based on what he has done. And then we live rightly in response to that. Our right living becomes a grateful response to all he has done and the ways that he has sacrificed himself for us. And when we live rightly in that way, it has a great impact on those around us. You see, one of God's purposes for his new and redeemed community is through them to make his righteousness attractive in personal, family, business, national, and international life and so commend it to all people. Then people outside God's kingdom will see it and desire it. And the righteousness of God's kingdom will, as it were, spill over into the non-Christian world. You see, when the kingdom of God is our goal, other people you know, see a different quality of life in us. And they want to experience that same goodness. Much as Jesus calls us to be salt and life in the world... He wants us to live lives that are rightly connected with him because they become attractive to other people. And this is the way the kingdom of God spreads. When we share the good news of Jesus, not only in our words, but also in the way we live. If we want to seek first God's righteousness, we'll evangelize or share that good news because that inward rightness of heart with God literally bubbles out of us, both in our words as well as in our actions, and that becomes pleasing to God. When this is genuinely our dominant ambition, then all other things, we we are told, will fall into their proper place. When it says all other things will be yours as well, that doesn't just mean we're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise all the time, and it doesn't mean that we're going to be without trouble. It's just that those other things fall into their proper place as secondary goods, And the primary good of being engaged in the furtherance of God's kingdom and in a right relationship with him holds up under the stress and strain of life. I don't want to give you a false notion that other things then that are created in this world aren't good. It's just that their goodness comes from God, right? As the giver of every good and perfect gift. And when we understand that, then they fall into their rightful place. C.S. Lewis in the Screw Tape Letters said that sin is, again, taking any one good healthy thing to an unhealthy extreme. 
We make those things idols where we prioritize them and we center ourselves in their life on those things and, and whether they hold up or not. But the problem is that nothing else other than Jesus and his kingdom can stand the stress and strain of being at the center of who we are. When we make something else so precious to us that then that becomes our primary good. Those things are prone to fail us And we're prone to fall as a result. As Levi and I continue our journey through the Lord of the Rings uh, trilogy, we again and again encounter the the character Gollum, who, opposed to Frodo and the journey that Frodo and Sam are on to, to get rid of or destroy the One Ring of Power, Gollum's great goal is to restore it and to regain it as his most precious thing. Again and again, he calls it my precious and again and again, we can make things our greatest good, something that becomes so precious to us that then when it falls short, we fall as a result. While we were away on our trip, uh, our cat was probably bored. Uh, Obi, named after Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, is kind of a rascal. This cat has caused us, uh, given us great blessing of comfort and uh, great supportive companionship, but he also seems to cause uh, various kinds of trouble. And this time, while we were away, he had somehow figured out how to open up the china cabinet door. And when we walked in the house, the china cabinet door was open, and one of the china cups was broken on the floor. And I walked in, and I, and I didn't even look straight at Beth. I just kind of looked out of the corner of my eye. Like, what reaction is this going to cause? And for Beth, while she loves her china, it's not her greatest primary good. And she was able to take it in stride and say, we have many others, even though it's sad, and kind of roll with it. There have been times when something of mine has been broken, and instead I have lost it because that thing has become such a primary good for me, such an inordinate focus for me that when it's broken or when something happens to it, I lose my focus. But when we focus instead on the goodness of God and the goodness of his kingdom, we don't lose our lives when something is lost. Rather, we recognize that God is our greatest good. And that comes through the application of the words of God and laying our foundation on those words. To delight ourselves in the Lord and know that he will give us the desires of our heart, as it talks about in Psalm 37.4. So here, we can see where seeking first the kingdom of God aligns with applying the word of God in our lives. And we can join Jesus on his mission by wise building hearing Jesus' words, putting them into practice, and building our house on the rock. Dale Bruner is wise to say that hearing Jesus' words is the indispensable first step to doing them. How can we do words we have not heard? And, And so there's wisdom in hearing God's word. We need to hear it regularly in this kind of context. We need to read it ourselves. We need to in, take in the Bible in groups and in our individual studies and through sermons. That's what's going to enable us to understand God's will. But then we're told that people who live with the right foundation of the kingdom of God are ones that put it into practice. The hearing the Bible without doing it will cause us to fall short. 
We are told that people whose life built on the foundation of Jesus' words won't, won't be spared rains and floods or winds as though Jesus' teaching will keep us out of trouble. Rather, what Jesus says here is that the same storms that hit the same storms hit thoughtless, thoughtful disciples as well as thoughtless ones. But obedience to Jesus' words will cause us to stand up under the strain of those storms. When troubles or persecutions come, we'll still stand firm in the word of God. You see, everyone builds a house on some foundation. For everyone believes that something is true and stable. And Jesus invites his hearers to believe that his words are the most stable foundation in the world. This, the wise will not only hear the teaching of Jesus, these words of mine, Jesus says, but they'll actually make a concerted effort to live out in their daily lives what that teaching implies. Dallas Willard, in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, laments the fact that largely the church hears the word of God, studies the word of God, but doesn't put the word of God to practice. And in that book, he challenges us to stake our lives on the goodness of God's word and to live on the foundation of his word. Sometimes, friends, we need to move from Bible study to Bible doing, or at least our Bible study needs to lead to the practical application and living out of God's word. And maybe the last thing we need is one more Bible study. What we need is practically putting it into practice and living it out in our lives. Does it actually stand up when we put it into practice? Have we actually made a determined effort to, effort to live out the words of Jesus? Or do we see them as antiquated or not applicable to our present day and age? Jesus ends this part of his teaching with a great warning and an invitation to us that we can join Jesus on his mission by avoiding foolish building. And that comes when we only hear Jesus' words, but we don't put them into practice. When we hear Jesus' words, we don't put them into practice. We're told that we're building our house on the sand. You see, the sermon doesn't end with a note of joy for those who build intelligently. It ends sadly with the crash of those who build foolishly and we see around us in our lives both believers and unbelievers unfortunately becoming undone at times when difficulties strike when the storms of life hit the question then becomes an invitation are we building on the right foundation of God's word are we applying his word and laying a foundation of our house on rock that will stand up or are we living based on present philosophies and and strategies, and other political platforms, and making that our primary foundation. If so, unfortunately, it's not likely to stand up when things are hard. My own journey is one where when tremendous tragedy and difficulty struck, one of the most difficult losses that I believe people can face in life, the loss of a child, I had a strong enough foundation in the word of God that I had been raised in and had been rooted in and was seeking to apply into my life that I was not undone by that loss. In my marriage, Beth and I were not undone by the loss of our daughter, but we laid hold of God's teaching and his promise And we had rooted our foundation and built our lives on the rock enough that when that storm and that trial hit, we stood up under it, out of God's grace and mercy. Friends, to be on the mission of God means to apply the word of God, to build in the right places, 
and to build up the kingdom of God by applying biblical truth in such a way that it also positively impacts other people. The question I leave you is, what sort of houses are we building today in our own lives and even in our church? Are we doing Jesus' words or only reading them, hearing them, and thinking how fine they sound? James 1, to 24 would remind us, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed by what he does. As Dallas Willard says, the house built upon a rock, not upon sand, where the winds of life will, will, will hit, will not be knocked down, for he knows that in any case, when we just do it, when we just apply God's word, to that extent we'll experience the blessed life of companionship with God and being undergird and strengthened by his word. How life-giving it would be if we simply heard God's word and said, I will do it. I will find out how. I will devote my life to it. That, I, that we believe this is the best life strategy we've ever heard of. And then go off and put God's word into practice and see whether it stands up under the stress and strain of life. In application, we can seek Jesus' kingdom first by leading it to a rightly ordered life. And what I mean by that is if we put Jesus' words into practice, if we trust that we are created by God and our life is ordered by God, then it leads to rightly ordered priorities. Life is a fit. Wise building also will relate not only to our own life but to our witness. You will bless the people around you the more and more you put into practice God's word. And the ultimate promise here is that wise building will stand. If we live our life founded in God's word, our house will not fall with a great crash, but will stand up under the strain of life and will be a witness to other people. Here's the point. The practice of seeking the kingdom of God is simply forming the habit of watching for what God is showing us every day in the midst of our daily routines to know and trust that God has been at work in your life this past week, but also having the ability to share that with other people. Because when you do, they're encouraged by it. They're strengthened there in their own walk with God, and they're moved to apply the word of God to their own life, and that will witness to others as well. Friends, joining Jesus on mission means seeking first the kingdom of God and allowing the other things to fall into their proper place. Where you need to apply this word is individual or personal to each one of us, for they're all things that we tend to put at the center of who we are. But as we realign our priorities around the kingdom of God, may we celebrate that that is a central way we can join him on mission, and may that communicate the good news to other people. Amen.